We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to a special episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben. And tonight we're going to be looking at two, count them, two episodes of Battlestar Galactica, the man with nine lives and murder on the rising star. And so let's start off with the man with nine lives. Twelve sectons after Baltar's surrender and the departure of Count Ibli, the Galactica continues on the mysterious course provided to them by the Space Angels. The outlook amongst the fleet is hopeful, as there are increasing signs of the trail left behind by the colonists who headed to Earth. Blue Squadron is on furlong aboard the Rising Star, where Starbuck is trying to convince Apollo to back his surefire gambling system at cards. Meanwhile, three Borellian gnomon, brutish isolationist colonists who rarely mix with the other colonies, appear to be on a blood hunt, searching for a man they know as Captain Dimitri. The man they are pursuing is a con man named Shamelian, and we clearly see him use his silver tongue to con others. Realizing that he is being pursued, and having heard a news program on Starbuck talking about Starbuck being an orphan, he manages to introduce himself to Starbuck, and he lays the foundation work to convince him that he might be his long-lost father, which Starbuck swallows hook, line, and sinkeron, because I'm sure they call them sinkerons. Apollo and Boomer aren't as convinced. Under the colonial warrior's escort, they take him to the Galactica for genetic testing, effectively getting him out past the Borellian Nomen and off the rising star. Cassiopeia runs the genetic test, while Starbuck feels increasingly betrayed by his doubting friends, Apollo and Boomer, and he begins to make plans to resign and spend his time with his newfound father. The Borellian Nomen, still on their blood hunt, come aboard the Galactica as new warrior recruits. It all comes to a head when the Nomen confront Starbuck and Shomelian in the Alpha Hangar Bay. They escape, but it's time for reckoning. Shomelian admits that he was on the run from the Borellian Nomen. He had posed as Captain Dimitri and conned them out of their money, discovering, at the same time, that they were amassing weaponry for their eventual takeover of the fleet. He saw Starbuck on the news and used the story to con him into taking him to the Galactica for his safety. There's just one tiny wrinkle! The results are in, and Shamelian is Starbuck's father. He swears Cassiopeia into never telling Starbuck so that he won't throw away his career. The end. The man with nine lives. The legendary Fred Astaire. Mm-hmm. So I know we both were not looking forward to this episode, but uh, having now watched it uh, after the fact, what uh, what did you think? Um, when did we start watching Love Boat Galactica? I think all the way possibly back at the beginning. I'm not sure. Yeah, well, this so I one take it really you didn't did enjoy it. it. Oh God, hmm. this this episode was a piece of garbage. I, you know, surprisingly, I didn't hate it as much as I remember hating it. Um, no, you're, that's correct. I hated it worse when I first saw it, but that does not um, absolve mitigate it. that you're still hating it. Okay. Oh God, I still hate I, it. Yeah. I wish they had done a little bit more with, you know, we have the the obvious ploy that. Chameleon, and I hate that pronunciation, see Starbuck on the news channel. And so we're we're privy to the information that he's been primed with that whole story. I 
would have been a little happier about the outcome of this story if we had gotten just the slightest piece anywhere along the line that made it look like he actually might be missing a son for real. Mm-hmm. You know, because having thoroughly debunked it and having the guy come out and admit, I made the whole thing up. And then for Cassiopeia to come out and say, no, no, you're really his father. Like, well, then you didn't make the whole thing up. You must have been, you you must have been a father. You must have lost a child. You know, there was something there that was true. There must have been probably something must have probably been. Either that or Starbuck is a completely illegitimate child that he never knew about. And then the odds that those two would come together are just, you know, nigh on. You'd need space angels to bring that bit of fate to well, come to think of it. There, there's that. And then it, I think it also kind of speaks a little bit towards the character of Chameleon that he, he really is just a, an unsavory individual and he just doesn't give a crap about anything. He, he at least up until the time he finally you know met starbuck and when he realizes and he finds out oh this you know it's it's really true by the time that happens he's he's finally started to you know maybe you know maybe maybe i kind of like this guy after all and and now he wants to do the right thing by him by having him stay um as you know with the warrior fleet on the flip side that could just be that he loathed the idea of having a kid tag around even though he's an adult that Um, would also speak to his character Yeah. yeah Yeah, so that was that was um, it. It is a, obviously it's a bit of a far fetched uh, story. The whole long lost dad thing. Have we ever even heard that Starbuck was an orphan? Prior no, to this, this? Is the, this is the first time it's been brought up. Okay, I wasn't sure because he kind of seems like he might have been an orphan. Um, but but you know, looking back on it and knowing in retrospect that he was an orphan, I may have been projecting that as we went through the story. Um, a little thing that I don't want to bring up that's that's trivial but but interesting I thought was interesting the attack on Umbra Umbra Umbria I don't know it was something like it was the agro city Umbra uh 20 years ago which was a silent attack on this little town near the thorn forest it was one of the first silent attacks on Caprica they say that once or twice in the course of this episode true this is a thousand yarn war 20 years ago the cylons started striking caprica the colonials were losing this war Uh that's the only that's the only excuse that after 880 yarns or 980 yarns of war suddenly the cylons are starting to strike on caprica that that they must have been losing back we've not had any sign of that to this point no not not like that no you know, the only way the Cylons could get to them was by a complete sneak attack. But it kind of, it kind of makes, if it's true, or as opposed to just a stupid, stupid script inconsistency. Mm-hmm. If it's true, it would explain how desperate the Quorum of Twelve might be to sue for peace, uh, right? Yeah, it would make some sense. I'm not saying that they're right in doing it, but, you know, if you're drowning and you're handed a... A stick, you don't necessarily question the stick. Right. Until you die because they beat you with it. But um, as we go. So anyway, I just wanted to bring that up. The other thing I wanted to bring out in, in our yarns thing, the warriors, if you want to be a warrior, you have to be 16 to 46 yarns. Now, that doesn't tell us. It t- does tell us something, though. Huh? Okay. Let's pretend that yarns are years. All right. For the sake of argument. 16 is about as young as you're going to want to. Take a male. You're, you're not going to want. I human. mean, 
I mean, they're, they're going to have to go through a lot of training before they're in a position where they can actually, you know, serve. Well, see, I, you know, the military, our military, every military in the world would take them younger than they currently get them if they could, because younger the <clears throat> the more malleable um, and, and the more likely to just do what you're told. So, you know, a lot of a lot of people at 16 got into the military in World War One. So, I mean, I can see 16 if, if you know, that's age of consent in many countries. Uh, I can see that as being roughly equivalent to R16 okay. is what I'm getting at. Okay. Anything younger than that, then we would have to start questioning how long a yarn is. Mm. But at 16, it's roughly 16 years old. That's reasonable. Could be 16 is R18, but it's still, you know, kind of close. 46 is pretty damn old. To be taking on a human now to go into the military you're you're old you're pudgy you're slowing down so i think what that's telling us is that the colonials live longer lives so when adama says you know we live on the order of a hundred some yarns that is pretty much straight up a hundred years we're, we're, we are talking roughly one-to-one correlates. This is not some weird, oh, a yarn is only 0.75 of an Earth year. So therefore, if you live 100-year yarns, you're really only living 75 years kind of thing. I, I think that's what we can kind of get out of this, is that the ages are roughly the same, and people live a longer, healthier life. My take on it, it's going to be headcanon from now on, but that was one of the few times that we got some kind of data about bat yarns. All right. Uh, the most interesting thing about this story for you let's say okay I'm curious Me? what was it nothing yeah nothing not nothing. at all no, there was nothing interesting in this story what about the gnomon didn't care what about the whole what about the whole idea the, it 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 felt like klingons well it's earlier than klingons so it's true um, it, it, the klingons feel like Borelian gnomon um you know this is this is pre this is pre tng that is true pre- it's pre it's TMP. For yeah, it, it's pre Klingons. motion picture. Um, but it's pre anything we know about the about the warrior code of honor that the Klingons have. Uh, but basically, um, no. The actually the only there was, there was there was one thing that was of interest, and that was the laser bows. Okay, I thought those were cool. It, it's it's a, I don't know if it's a good idea, but it's a cool <laughs> it's a cool effect. It's a cool cool concept. I mean, whether it's an a, you know a a viable or weapon or not, I mean, is another thing. And as, as I was watching it la- uh, last night, I thought, well, actually, this is a real waste. But aside from that, I mean, it's a cool effect. But as far as the gnomon themselves go, don't care. Hmm. All right. So here's what crossed my mind. Are they human? Ah, humanoid. Because they are one of the colonies, supposedly. And they they talk about, you know, they needed their code to survive on the awful wastelands i forgot what they call them but obviously their planet's a pit and i'm just wondering is this is this a are there big brow ridges and everything is that an evolutionary ad- adaptation to this this planet or are they another species mm. or are they our cavemen are they our neanderthals that didn't uh didn't survive after we reached earth didn't yeah i, I never gave any of that any thought i i it, the whole the whole idea that they have these sort of non-humanoid not that a humanoid. Don't get me wrong. These these standoffish. We don't deal with the other colonies. We don't. Why are they? Why did they bring them? Hmm. I don't you know? know. It it never well, crossed my mind. Would they have been? Would they have been fighting the Cylons? 
as part of the fleet. Obviously, they're not part of the colonial warriors. Right. Um, like I said, it, it never crossed my mind. But, you know, that's that's again, that's another indication as to how poorly I thought of this entire episode. I mean, I watched it and I'm, I'm just watching it as my brain cells are dying one by one because I thought it was a bad episode. Hmm. Well, of course, and I don't think it's a surprise that the Borelian Gnomon will be will be back uh, in the future. Sorry. Spoilers. Anyone who didn't know that. So will Baltar. Just saying. Mm. Um, but yeah, it, it, well, see now when I find an episode that doesn't have a whole lot of stuff to chew on, I, I look at the, the world building and I see that, that it's, I it's Stu Phillips, uh, it's Stu Phillips music and the disco dancing. And, uh, we haven't mentioned Stu Phillips and his music for Galactica, I don't think, but, uh, he definitely has a, he's definitely got a vibe when he gets to that disco dancing music was that the same music from the first uh the 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 pilot i i think it was um i think it's the same music that that the 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 women say it was in that was in oh no 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 that's that's definitely that was the song they actually had but i thought love 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 yeah but but i thought it it felt like that they took the took the singing out and just left the Mm. instrumental portion in no, 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 it's not. I believe okay. it or not, I have a soundtrack. But I think it may be the same music they were playing in the last episode when Count Ebley was on the Rising Star and they were in debauchery. And I think it may be the same track because, you know, he's only got a few. And believe it or not, he's actually got all new ones for Buck Rogers as well. Uh, but, mm. but they all sound exactly alike. Yeah, maybe that's my problem. The, the, 70s, the 70s disco is, has got the... It's, it's got the thing in. All right. Um, well, I'll, I'll keep trying. Another one that I thought was interesting is that we've talked about the the Galactica's seeming Mormon uh, theology, mm-hmm. or the crew of the Galactica. And okay, fine. You know, we we've we've had excuses in the past, like on Star Trek, where they go to a planet and it's always a monoculture, and it's more or less kind of felt like that here in the colonies, but now we get the Nomen. And not so much that they babble on about their praying, but the fact that they press home the issue of religious freedom with the the guard. And that's the that's the chink that'll, that gets past him, right? He's saying, no, you can't do this. No, you can't do it. You're denying us our religious freedom, which makes it sound exactly like, you know, kind of our constitutionally guaranteed well, uh, it, but the, the the LDS faith also believes in that too. That they will, you know, despite the fact that they have this incredibly um, forceful—well, not only use forceful, but vi- very visible um, even evangelizing force with their missionaries—one of their basic tenets is that they will respect another person's beliefs. Hmm. Interesting. I wonder if that's why he was pushing it. It 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 just it it stood out for me like okay it's this thing because we have the only other example we've had and I don't think this counts is talking about the Gemini sect that only touches each other every seven years right back mm, in the pilot right but by definition I think sect would imply that it's just a specialized uh, group uh, within the same doctrinal framework mm-hmm. that makes sense usually it's this is that sect that sect they're all kind of the same thing so just it was interesting that that you know we've got multiple colonies and maybe we've got multiple religions and so then you ask yourself the question if we've got multiple religions and count ebley was fitting in very very nicely with adamas 
then I guess they're right. Would that would that be <laughs> would that be the way we take it? Is that that's the that, that's the true religion then? Uh, wow, you kind of threw me for a loop on that one. I'm not quite sure where you were going. Oh well, right. So if we had if if we had had this as being, um, let's say the colonies, uh, let's use uh, Earth religions. Then you have the colonies that uh, that have um, Jewish and Christian and Islam and Buddhist and Adama is Christian, and along comes the alien species that turns out that it's effectively Jesus, then that would demonstrate that the foundation of that particular religion is the one that is more true than, say, the ones that do not have that tradition of of a Jesus or Jesus Christ. So that's kind of what I'm getting at here is that Count Ebley sort of reaffirms the Galacticans' religion as being based on something. Uh, Does it make See what I'm getting at there? I see what you're saying. I don't agree with it. So you think their religion is not based on anything? I mean, no. What I mean to say is is that the concept of the devil is a very universal belief. It doesn't matter what your, you know, a lot of religions have that belief in the devil. Well, they do here. Yes, yes, they do. And uh, but we don't know what they do on the Galactica. Though. No, but I, th- if there are other religious sects, I'm willing to bet that uh, knowing Larson or at least, you know, guessing Larson uh, the way that I am, that he was simply applying and transferring, you know, present-day cultures and just projecting them into this particular series. I mean, that's what he's been doing this entire time. So what's to say, you know, if we're going to continue with that parallel, what's to go ahead and say that the different religious cultures that might exist within the colonies um, have a universal belief of Satan? It's definitely possible. It would be I, again. I would like to know more about what else is going on in the other in the other colonies. Now that we know that the gnomon appear to be very different, you know, up to this point, it's been kind of yeah. well. Maybe that was planned for season two. Yeah, I suppose. <coughs> Another thing I thought was kind of interesting was the uh, the magic of genetic testing. Mm. I mean, thinking back, nineteen seventy eight, eight or nine, when this came out. I think genetic paternity testing was a pipe dream at that point. I'm not mistaken. The best you could do was a blood test. Mm, probably. I think. And they they kind of play it up in this story. They almost make it sound like, and I, I don't truly mean like it's magic, right? But in other words, when, when Shamelian is explaining it, even though he's BSing to Starbuck and Apollo, they are like, that's amazing! That you could do that, mm. right? They're they're both really kind of taken aback by the idea that, that you can even do something like that. And then they go over to the Galactic, and it's a bit of a big deal, you know. Scan bits of your brain and take stuff and then stuff. And and but the fact is, it's dead on. I mean, there, it really is a doable. It is a doable thing. We couldn't do it. This is this is an example of of Galactica kind of getting it right. I mean, apart from the sort of. Uh, the mumbo jumbo about how they go about it, but it it, it is interesting. I, I suspect that if some kid watching the show now, somebody who was 18, 20 years old, like we were when when the show came on, mm-hmm. or younger, and was watching it, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't even phase them. But if you're watching it back then, you might literally have had the same response that Apollo or or Starbuck would. It's like, whoa, you could do that? That'd be cool. Well, probably no guy ever thought that, but. Um, you know, it, it it's just 
it, it's like when you watch a show where they're using something like a cell phone and it's super high tech, but we now look at it and it doesn't even phase us. It just yeah. I mean, I could. And I, for a second there, I was going to draw the Star Trek parallel, and then I thought, no, why the heck would I want to do that? Because that's giving the writers of Galactica way too much credit. Was this Larson, by the way? Uh, Did you know this? God, I don't know. Right. I, did, I didn't. Uh, I don't think it was, but I didn't check the credits. Okay, sorry. Didn't mean to derail. Not giving credit to Star Trek because that's uh, not fair. Uh, you were you were saying? No, I, I, I was simply saying that. Yeah. Um, uh, to to imagine that the writers or whoever wrote this uh, uh, particular episode to imagine that they would actually use the Star Trek uh, you know parallel and you know imagine you know future project um, technology that could possibly do something like this. I mean, we we accept that that would that that, that uh, you know with Star Trek that's what they've been doing. I mean, you know, of course, it's easy for us to you know look back and and it and really admire the projections that they were scientifically doing. Uh, but to imagine that Galactica would take that kind of care is giving them way too much credit than, than what they are due. <laughs> uh, Donald uh, Belisario. Oh, D- uh, Belisario wrote, wrote it? Yeah. Ah, Belisario sure. wrote this one. So, so the, uh, the double team of uh, Larson and Belisario, uh, they did a lot of work together over the years. Um, you know, anyway, all right, let's see. I don't know that I have anything else. Um, a little bit trite on the whole... Um, what? You looked this guy up? Oh. I'm not your friends anymore. That was, that was that the part was that bugged very me the most heavy. about this episode. Yeah, I, I, I heard that and I thought, <laughs> oh, gee, that's kind of stupid. Does that really sound like Starbuck? I mean, he's pretty... I mean, he's a hothead, but at the same time, he's also pretty good at trying to shield himself from hurt and he really led with his heart on this one uh it didn't entirely feel in character i would say that again i might have been a little better if if somewhere in the past i had uh had instances where apollo sorry starbuck had um you know expressed a sort of wistful wishing to have known about his parents Right, mm. if that had been a character trait of Starbuck, it might have made this a bit more believable. You know, I've never wanted to get involved with people because my parents were killed when I was little, and I this, and I just never, you know, think that I we'd had that. Then, then this might have because obviously Chameleon hones in on that like a pro con man, and and we and weaves a pretty good story. Right, he lets. He lets Starbuck come to it, which, you know, it's, I'll give him that. It's good. That's that's how you do it. You give him a little line, and you, and you slowly wheel him in. And he, he did it. He, they did that nicely, if only it had been somebody other than Starbuck. Um, no. Well, I, and I'm going to go back to something that I've said um, for some time, and, and that is consider your audience, or at least consider the people they thought were your audience. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. Well, I suspect they think they were people who were watching westerns, um, and and the the con man in the old west is a is a tried and true old trope too. Yeah. So, what else have we got? Anything at all? I got nothing. I mean, literally, I I watched it and was miserable the entire time. Well, I think that's about all we can come up with with a man with nine lives. Um, I wish I had nine <laughs> sets of notes. <laughs> and let's move on. Two, 
Murder on the Rising Star. The Triad Championships are getting heated. Apollo and Starbuck are up against a tough opposing team, featuring the particularly aggressive Ortega, who has been nettling Starbuck for years. During the match, he repeatedly fouls Starbuck until they are both ejected from the game for fighting. Starbuck utters some regrettable words such as, I'll kill him, and, and when Cassiopeia breaks up a fight between them later, this is only delaying the inevitable. And as with all good 1970s TV, you can't say I'll kill him in front of witnesses without the person in question ending up murdered. And so it is with Ortega, found dead in the locker room, shot with Starbucks laser. Apollo, although unskilled and untrained as a protector, takes on the job of protecting Starbuck at the murder tribunal. The opposer offers a self-defense plea, but Starbuck refuses because, you guessed it, he insists he didn't kill Ortega. Starbuck decides that with the court of public opinion against him and having an incompetent and inexperienced protector, he'd be better off escaping from the brig, stealing a viper, and living his life on some lonely planet. Oh, if only he knew. But Apollo talks him down, and he returns to the brig. The trail to find the real killer leads first to a mysterious man, Charybdis, that Adama knows of. Charybdis, Baltar's protege, who sabotaged the defense network on the night of the Cylon attack. But no one but Baltar knows what he looks like. The trail then leads to a pyramid dealer on the Rising Star. On the night the colonies were destroyed, he bribed Ortega to let him aboard the Rising Star, leaving behind some poor child to die. Well, that's it then. Problem solved. He must be Charybdis and killed Ortega. But no! Maybe he isn't. Ortega let three people bribe him into letting them onto the Rising Star that night. Any one of them might be Charybdis. Apollo hatches... See what I did there? Richard Hatch? Apollo Hatch? Apollo hatches a cunning plan. He lets the three think that he doesn't believe that any of them are the killer. And that Ortega was killed by a man named Charybdis. And that he's going to go collect Baltar to identify him. Knowing that the real Charybdis will be forced to make a move to kill both Apollo and Baltar to keep his identity hidden. While Boomer bumbles through being Starbucks protector pro tem, an audio drama plays out aboard the Galactica shuttle as Charybdis makes his move. Shots are fired, followed by silence. And then... Apollo is alive! Charybdis is dead, Starbuck is deemed innocent, and Baltar has saved the day. Hooray! At the next Triad Tournament, Starbuck receives a standing ovation, except from the people who remain seated. The end. What did you think of this episode? I wanted to call it um, Boredom on the Setting Sun, or Setting Star. <laughs> this... <clears throat> Was you know, the th well, the thing is, I've heard so much talk about, and we've heard, I've heard the term space opera used, mm -hmm. but lately this has just become soap opera. Oh, it's not even good soap opera because it not doesn't, it doesn't carry you on from episode to episode. You know, I mean, that's the, the beauty of a soap opera is that it can string one story along for six years. That's this, true. This is just one and done, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, and it's, and it's, very bad. Um, no, bad's not the right word for it. It's just incredibly, incredibly pedestrian, mundane. Yeah, mundane's a good word. Uh, you know, it's it's been done on on every science fiction show 
except maybe Space 1999, come to think of it. Uh, but you know, I can think of it on Star Trek, Star Trek's Next Generation, Buck Rogers. And, I mean, there's always a show where somebody, some character gets accused of committing a murder and, and it looks you know, all the world like they really did commit the murder, but of course, obviously they didn't commit the murder because they're one of the stars of the show, and so there's right. no tension of any kind. Uh, and, and you know, the courtroom drama isn't even suspenseful because you know at some point they're going to produce some highly irregular and unusual evidence to prove their character innocent, and then, ta-da, uh, it'll all be over and forgotten. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so it is with Murder on the Rising Star. Um, <clears throat> but but we can but try. Uh, can but try to see if there's anything Yes, here. because this episode was trying. It was. It was a bit. And, and there were... Well, sure. Let's get to it. First off, it starts off uh, for the second episode in a row. I don't know that we talked a lot about it like last time. Uh, with Adama giving us, a, a, you know, hmm, more and more signs of Earth. Yeah. Uh, and this time we get the, uh, which, which shocks the heck out of me. And, and I suppose at some point in a few episodes time, we'll get to why this shocks the heck out of me. But Adama's actually given some thought to what's going to happen when they arrive at earth. We're going to, you know, we're going to go study it for a while and find out. We have a prime directive we need to adhere to. Well, I don't know that he went that far, but I mean, I, I think he, he did at least, no, but you that's know, that's sort of what concern. he's yeah. But that, in, in a way, that's what he was saying, you know. And and t- to to his credit, I actually thought, oh wow, a little bit of foreshadow there for uh, Galactica eighty. If you don't mind me jumping the timeline a little bit, well, there's why uh, I'm shocked because when Galactica eighty, when they get there, they had no clue what they were gonna do. Oh God, no! <laughs> but here, he's actually given it some thought, and mm-hmm. you know, he's contemplated the two alternatives. They are either as advanced or more advanced. And even then, you don't just show up on the door. No. And or they're primitives. Or there may be something you know seriously wrong, and they they may have real problems with with arriving. Which you know is an interesting concept because what if, what if uh, it never occurred to me until I watched it this time. What if Adama is trying to lay the foundation in the minds of the audience that the people of the Galactica are the ancient aliens who created the pyramids here on Earth. Not the settlers from Cobol, but Mm. the people of the Galactica when they arrived. You know, it just never occurred to me. It's like, equally, they could do it as well. I mean, they're bringing all of that stuff and all those yeah. words and all those names and stuff into our uh to our planet and and english and <laughs> mm-hmm. uh and then and you know so after that little bit of thoughtful opening the episode kind of goes downhill from there <laughs> at least yeah. that was that was my impression oh um, it was mine too so i do have a question i have a couple of questions about triad or a couple of observations about triad mm-hmm. triad three pyramid three uh Major characters, you know, the 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 three amigos, uh, Apollo, Boomer, Starbuck. Uh, mm-hmm. Three, 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 three. Why is Triad played with teams of two against two? two? Yeah. Um, and even the court is not exactly a triangle. It's not. It's got four walls. Does that four or does it have six? I think it had four. I was thinking it had three major and three minor walls, but I wasn't sure. I didn't sure. think so. Well, maybe maybe it, maybe it does, but the the fact is that in order to score a goal, you had, it looked like, four walls, and they were opposing sides. Mm. Yeah. It, and it, I, I, 
I like the fact that they've come up with this game uh, and that it bears some cursory resemblance to both basketball and the game that the Mayans used to play on their courts. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, again, it it leads to that whole ancient astronauts kind of Right, yeah, the whole Von Donegan kind of thing. Yeah, but that set is so small and so crowded and it just i don't know it 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 it, every time they go in there i think "Ah, gosh you know nice idea but wow did they cheap out on this to to do this and i mean i suppose you know they have what they have but it just feels like this should be a bigger court it should have been um and if you've ever seen the mayan ball courts they're huge Mm -hmm. i mean bigger than a football field i think um they're 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 big um and then the the ball hole is still the same size (laughs) Mm. (laughs) a lot of running around where you have to keep i think you i recall you have to keep the ball in the air with your knees the whole time it was something like that i mean it's not it's not soccer it's no it's a precursor to it sounds like though but but you it doesn't i don't think it rolls on the ground i think they have to keep it up in the air without holding it it's so it's like sort of like basketball in that respect yeah, except I don't think they use their hands. No, they have to use their knees instead. Their knees and yeah, stuff. It, it's boy, I could be completely wrong on that. I I I went to Chichen Itza. I saw the ball fields. I had the guide, you know, the knowledgeable native guide, <clears throat> uh, explaining it to us, and I thought, wow, that's interesting. And then, boo, bits of it just gone um, out of the out of the head. But I seem to recall that was like what he the game he was describing was damn near impossible you're like there is just no way humans could do that so they obviously must be ancient aliens. um <laughs> <laughs> didn't think that at the time but now i am now i'm thinking anti-gravity devices something okay another thing i thought was interesting about the triad game was the the whole officer's lounge thing where ty and adama were watching oh yeah and a couple of things funny one was you know ty's like yeah we could get down there and we could watch the game now this is more comfortable yeah, this is more obviously Adama was playing him. And the other thing is that Flight Officer Omega is the one serving him drinks. Like, mm. really? Yeah, I <laughs> thought that that I thought that's what I saw. Wasn't entirely sure, but it looked like him. Yeah, it's like, wow. These guys really know how to rub it in, don't they, Omega? <laughs> Rank does have its little privileges. I'm just going to go off duty now and go back to the flight deck and uh, keep the fleet safe, sir, if that's all right. <laughs> all right, uh, just fetch us a couple more drinks first, Omega, and then when you, then you can... Yeah, it, uh, it was some... Okay, so uh, did they uh, did they make a convincing, nasty guy out of Ortega? Uh, not really. <laughs> a man who would take money and let orphans die... I mean that was that was pretty bad. I mean we didn't know that at the time, but but the, I do you picturing that we get pieces of the night here that the Cylons attack that we've never had before. I the first yeah. is that Charybdis, codenamed Proteus, um, mm-hmm. sabotaged the defense network according to Adama. So they aren't as stupid as we previously had thought. They just the fleet all went off somewhere and then the Cylons attacked. At least there was supposed to be something there helping protect the colonies, but it had been sabotaged. It's the first time we've heard that that there yeah. was any sabotage involved. I you know, and that that I thought was kind of interesting. I it, it made me stop and pause for a minute and thought, well, I I know that something like that happened in the reboot series, mm-hmm. but um, I thought, did I did I miss it? 
I, I don't remember it being in the pilot of this one. It was not. I didn't think so. It was not. There's the, there is the whole, you know, if the fleet's out there, we're defenseless kind of attitude. But, right. you know, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I mean, that just literally doesn't make any sense. But, okay, man. All right, so now we know Baltar had somebody working with him. Mm-hmm. And somehow, and this gets weirder, he had a code name, Proteus. Yeah. All right, now let's think about this. Adama knows Charybdis is Proteus. Adama knows that Charybdis was Baltar's right-hand man. Mm-hmm. Adama also knows that Charybdis, a.k.a. Proteus, is the guy who sabotaged the defense network. And also that he died on the night of the Cylon raid. Or he thinks he knows that. Okay? Mm-hmm. Why did Charybdis have a code name of Proteus? That sounds uh-huh. like, you know, when you, you know somebody's doing something. It's like, well, there's a spy working on our system. We're going to call him Proteus. But if they knew what Charybdis and Baltar were going to do, or that they had an inkling that there was anything going on there, then this should have played out very differently. And yet it didn't. And so it almost sounds like after it played out, and when they left the planet and didn't have the chance to, you know, collect the records or the space or go through and do a proper investigation, somehow they pieced together this whole Charybdis-Proteus thing. I like the idea that Baltar had help and that the colonies weren't as stupidly undefended as they were. Yeah. But at the it, same time, you know, it's clearly this is a retcon mm-hmm. that they didn't think of uh, right. in, in at the time. And maybe somebody wrote them a, wrote, you know, Glenn Larson a nasty gram. So, you know, they wouldn't have been completely defenseless. And so he goes, fine, screw you. Let's mm. write something in there. Charybdis sabotaged the defense network. Bing! Problem solved. Teach the fans to try to question me. Um, although this wasn't he, he only by. caved. Yeah, he caved. <laughs> uh, anyhow, so yeah. Um, so there's that. And then, and I didn't catch their names, and I feel really bad about this. So let me get this straight. Charybdis has a code name of Proteus. We're not sure who gave him that code name. Maybe Baltar gave him that name. Maybe the Cylons gave him that name. You know, Proteus is our agent who's going to sabotage the thing. Maybe they found that out of the side. Then, so Charybdis got on board the Galactica. under the He got onto the Rising Star under an assumed name. And then when he got onto the Rising Star, he took a different name so that he was camouflaging his assumed name, which was not Charybdis, right? This guy's got four names in this show. Mm. It makes it hard to keep track of things. Uh, and I don't know that they even mentioned his names. No, they didn't. <laughs> on, on the no, story. I don't remember hearing them. I mean, there was Pallas, uh, Pallas, something like that, uh, was the dealer. And then, um, but the, the uh, other two... Cabus or Something Cabus. like that. Yeah. Cabbage. Um, it was, you know, and it's a shame because I spent some time looking up all the names uh, in this story. And uh, I just want to say, and, and for the for the listeners who are really, really on the know, you may have caught my joke in the opening bit. Ortega means nettles. Hmm. So, and he's a spiky irritant. So, I mean, somebody was having fun with that name. Although there's nothing that I could get spacey out of that. You know, I was, I was trying to figure out if it was like Spanish for the North Star or... You know, something like that, that that somebody on the writing team was like, well, I'm going to be really clever today because we're running out of names. Uh, But no, it's just it's just a a Hispanic family name, which ultimately goes back to some Latin to 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 mean nettles, the plants. So and also Charybdis, um, Charybdis and Scylla, the two 
uh, uh, monsters at the end of the world that uh, I think amongst other people, Jason and the Argonauts had to go through. Oh, uh, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. Yeah. So there was no Scylla in this episode, just Charybdis. Um, I'm not, and he's a monster. So there you go. Ortega is a pest and Charybdis is a monster. I mean, couldn't be more on the nose than that. Mm. <clears throat> um, let's see. What else have I got? Boy, it's 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 slim to none. This was a tough one. This I mean, this was, was really very, very difficult episode. I mean, all you can do is just pick on little things like uh, Starbucks behavior. Oh, yeah. that I, I want to talk about Starbucks, so let's do that. Does this uh, fit again with Starbucks? <sighs> you know, I, I kind of think it doesn't. It, it really bothered me this time because, yeah, he's he's reckless, but to run... To run seems really stupid, and and his reason for running, yeah, he's panicking. Yeah, and um, Starbucks not the kind of guy who would panic. That's not what we've seen. I mean, he, from what we've seen, when he's facing a hopeless situation, I mean, he goes in guns blaring. Um, but to to run, just felt really inappropriate. He he's mad at Apollo for not being out there on TV defending him. Right. He's, Forget the fact that Apollo was actually doing his job instead of posing. Uh, yeah, and he's 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 hurt. He's deeply hurt that his friends, even Cassiopeia, have their doubts. Yeah, and you know, let's face it: how, how could they not? <laughs> I mean, how could you not have doubts? I mean, I, you'd think he's the greatest guy in the world, uh, but he he was he was attacked by the guy. He was mad at the guy. He threatened to kill the guy. He was caught about to have a fight with the guy and uh, the guy gets murdered with his laser right gun i mean it's not like he's loaning his laser gun out to people so mm-hmm. i think i think the you know the the opposer had a uh, a really good case there and he had an I excellent case anybody of starbucks best friends be like well okay let's say i believe you it doesn't matter what i believe right no one on earth is going to it, it, or, or on Galactica is is going to have any doubts that you did it and you kill people well Cylons but I mm. mean you're a you're a warrior you're a warrior presumably yeah. you're tra- you're trained to kill and Ortega is really nettling you so I, I, and but the fact that he's all like I'm gonna run away and pout I really that was the wrong answer yeah, it, it just, it, it felt completely wrong. And, okay, you know something? Uh, Starbuck, I, I, don't know about, I don't know about you, Ben, but here's my take on this. If I were put in that position and, you know, somebody I'd been having a fight with, somebody that I'd threatened, somebody that had a long history of, of hating, uh, was found dead shot with my gun, which normally is in my possession, and, and the attorney came to me, and, you, you know, I didn't do it, right? And the attorney attorney the prosecutor came to me and said look give me a plea self-defense and we'll get you off you know no Mm -hmm. prison time yeah you'll lose your commission in the military but you'll be a free man i'd take it wouldn't you you know i hate to say this but i think i would and what bothers me and yeah i I would although i would not be proud of it okay but 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 yes i would and i would especially the evidence is that damning and you could go have time to find the guy who really did it? Who really did it? And your best pal's father is the commander of the fleet who could pardon you after the fact. 
Right. And, and put wh- you back exactly. to fighting, which is what get you're you, good at. Yeah, you get, you get re-enlisted at that point. I mean, he, all, all, you know, and not to mention that you only have 10 sectons, sectons, centons, sectons, I think it was, to yeah. get your defense together and to, to have your tribunal. You know, absolutely. Surely there must be the option of, of a retrial. If they found Ortega a month from now, surely they could get that expunged. Not Ortega, uh, Charybdis. Yeah. And then lies good. So, I mean, from a, from a strategic standpoint, it makes perfect sense. Going off to find yourself on a planetoid to live by yourself is... And that's not stu- even a guarantee. Right. I mean, they, apparently, they keep finding planets with signs of, signs of Earth, so, so presumably they were habitable. But, <clears throat> I, I, yeah, it, it just it, it didn't make any sense. And, I, you know, it's there to waste a bit of time in this mm-hmm. story. It's, it's there to give... St- uh, Starbucks some screen time because everybody says this is a Starbucks episode, but really it's not. It's it's not. It's not. It really no. Most of it we see Apollo and Boomer doing the work, and and yet they manage to get Starbucks a lot more time than he really needs. He should have been you know in the brig and shut up most of the time, but they didn't. Um, so yeah, it just it it feels out of character for Starbucks. Um, not that Starbucks exactly the most level-headed of characters that we've ever seen but i i feel like he should be better than this mm-hmm. he should have been better than that absolutely sure you i mean even if he but. even if he chose to fight the charge despite the, the super damning evidence he should have been better than what we saw yeah absolutely i uh i liked the um i liked the ballistics the laser ballistics that was cool that actually sounds like they gave a little thought yeah, it did. It it sounded very reasonable. Um, in in fact, you know, I I remember I'd, I'd only seen this episode twice, counting last night. So I didn't remember much of the details. Um, spe- and and I kept thinking, wow, wouldn't it be nice if, like, with you know, with firearms, uh, especially for police, if they could actually count the number of webs? Oh, look at that! They can actually count if you fired off a shot or not. Oh, but man, wouldn't it be great if they can actually do a you know a futuristic version of ballistics? Oh, look at that! They can do ballistics. However, it, I mean, it really was. I th- I thought it was it, it was surprisingly well thought out for this. Now the the concept though, I was I I, I un- if I understand it correctly, <clears throat> Starbuck charged his weapon after he was on the laser range in the morning, so it should have had a full charge. But in fact, it was down the amount. Of one one blast blast yeah from his gun and and the blast power of any particular laser gun is unique apparently mm-hmm. like like the rifling on a like the ballistics on a uh, a pistol or a rifle mm-hmm. and they read how much force was imparted to Ortega's body is that I'm not sure exactly it's it it, it sounded a little techno babbleish. But I was I just kind of went with it. And then Wilker shoots the gun before he measures it, right? He fired mm, yeah. he fired Starbucks gun to get the measurement of how much a shot from Starbucks gun is. Then they put it in and measured how much was missing from his charge, and that number matched, despite the fact that Wilker had just fired it once. So Wilker's firing was the one that took the amount out of the gun so they thought about it but then i think i feel like they botched it <laughs> well Should it have been I, I, down twice as much i need to watch it again um i was said no one ever f- <laughs> well yes yeah, true um yeah. 
But yes. Because I didn't understand... Well, I watched it late, late last night, so I was, I was a little tired. But I was under the impression that it wasn't about the force, you know, depending on how much charge there is in the gun. Rather, it had something to do, you know, each, each one had its own unique energy signature. Yeah, and when I said force, I was meant the, the energy. I, I'm not talking about the, the, the Newton force pushed against the body. I'm talking about the amount of energy, the ergons imparted. So, yes, the, the energy amount fired from the gun. That makes sense? I guess, yeah. Well, oh, right. So, the, yes, your gun is fired, and this is how much energy comes out of your gun. And So as it gun, depletes, less energy is coming out. But you have to match that to something at the crime scene to say, well, this gun was fired, and with this amount of ergons, and Ortega's body received this amount of ergons. Ergo, <laughs> the... <laughs> The two mm. must be the same. They didn't quite connect that up, especially when they did the whole thing about extracting and measuring how much ergons were missing after Wilker fired the gun. But uh, but yeah, the idea was the idea was reasonably sound. Um, how about those voice command commuter- computers played for laughs? Uh. <laughs> That'll never happen, eh, Siri? <laughs> <laughs> now I was very careful to say a, not hey. So that our listeners out there will not be plagued by 18 million computers going off mm. when I said, hey, Siri. And uh, <laughs> I had that happen to me once. Oh. I really did. I was I was driving home and I had my phone. I was listening to podcasts and it was hooked up to the Bluetooth of my car and I was listening to this podcast. And, I, and they were talking about HomeKit. It was a, a Mac podcast. And um, one of the hosts, who I guess has a voice roughly in my register said something, you know, he's talking about how he just loves being able to say, hey, Siri, set all the lights to chartreuse. And when Siri gets triggered on my car when it's connected to Bluetooth, weird things happen. Mm-hmm. It just it, it didn't work very good. They, they did an update to my stereo after a while, and it, it got better. But when I got home, I freaked out because all the lights were green. <laughs> and it didn't, it didn't register chartreuse green. It didn't think. I'm like, I stepped into the house, and the lights were on, and they were green, and I'm like, what the hell's going on in here? And I, I was, I was freaking out. I thought somebody had gotten into my house and was mucking about or something. But it was, yeah. So yeah, you can absolutely do that. And so if anyone's house lights are green right now, <laughs> well, it did happen to Keith. Um, we were both home, um, and he had his iPad just right at his Mac, and it was during a work day. In fact, it was actually during an Apple keynote. Mm-hmm. And you see where this is going? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and at uh, one point, I don't remember who it was. It it it, uh, it might have been uh, Tim. Uh, but at some point, somebody went, "Hey Siri," you know, and and then Keith's uh, Keith's uh, iPad responded, "Call Starbucks or something." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but here we see voice command, and everyone's uh, you know not on board with this. Give me an old keyboard any day. Yeah. How how funny was it? if only if only that voice had sounded like Siri, that would have been that would have been so. Prescient. Mm-hmm. Huh. I'm glad I pulled that word out of my <laughs> repertoire. Um, let's see, what else do we have? Let's talk about children being left behind to die. Briefly. Okay. So loading the rising star up with children and orphans. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and guy comes along. Three guys come along. And they're like, "Here, I'll give you a lot of money. Let me on board." And Ortega, being the crook that he is, lets them on board. So he bumps three kids off the bottom of the list. Apparently so. Did it? I mean, I, that's that's how I took it to be. Did it seem like they did a really fabulous job of enforcing quotas when they were uh, uh, 
taken off after the destruction of their... You know, that is the one thing that it, it felt too organized. I'm Way too organized. to the gills. It should have been. It should have been, and you and you, you only see one person coming in at a time, you know, and a lot like you're taking attendance, mm-hmm. and it's like that's not how it would have been. No, and I think they probably would have been in quite the hurry. Exactly, it would have been chaos. So, yeah. So I had a hard time with that one. Yeah. Um, I got nothing else. I don't either. I mean, the legal system. Yeah. Is a poser the right word? I mean, in our in our society, it's the prosecutor and the defense, right? So the right. The, the state brings mm, the right. state brings the charges. They prosecute, and you have defense. Apollo is the protector. I can see that as an analog to defender. Defense, yeah. But but opposer? the opposer, yeah that that didn't that didn't work for me. Yeah, that I I think they could have come up with something else. The like attacker. The, <laughs> yeah, the attacker or uh, the uh, the the. Assault leader or something, but yeah, poser was a uh, anyway. Uh, I, I uh, and it was it was too much like our legal system. I mean, I, from what we saw, right? I, I would have loved to have seen I don't know something different. Did the Egyptians use a system of justice like ours? Did the did the Mayans have a system of justice like ours? You know, they could have come up with something cool there, but would it have been fair? That's we the great cons- question. You know, we have to think of the Galacticans as fair and 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 just people. Well, because they're the good guys. Right. And so we look at that from from our standpoint, you know, would would Napoleonic code? I mean, there's one. I mean, the Napoleonic code, that's still in use in a lot of civilized countries in this day, which mm-hmm. is basically guilty until proven innocent. Right? Those countries have justice systems and they 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 function, but to our eyes, that seems wrong seems cruel um and and i i sat and wonder whether or not the they are just do you get justice that way Hmm. i don't know i I mean i've seen any statistics on it i've never looked into it but it would have been fascinating to have you know something different on the galactica and and have them portray it in a way well it's like this is another justice system this one works but it's not like ours um, and I think this is a lot like ours because the, the opposer at one point actually said, you know, well, I think he's got one chance. Adama is like a father to him. So, uh, you know, he basically accused Adama of being willing to cheat for Starbuck. Right. So, I mean, we know that happens. <clears throat> you're white and accused of rape. You're, you're probably off scot-free if you've got a promising college career ahead of you. Um, Ooh. I don't know. I don't know. <clears throat> or you're, uh, you know, a dashing... Viper pilot. I don't know. All right. Well, if uh, if you don't have anything else, I I mean, this was one of the. It was like so many other episodes that we've seen. Not just here. You know, not. I mean, specifically, I think more in 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 a uh, in Galactica lately. But it it was just empty. I mean, it it, it was a, a shallow, pathetic excuse for a soap opera story. And no um no sign of um no Cylons. Cylons, yeah. Yeah, I mean, do they kind of just, you know, scamper off after Boltar, you know, decided to turn himself in? I, I think they actually ran out of costumes. I think I read they ran out of costumes. Is that it? Uh, and so they, uh, and and for that and for other reasons, they decided to de-emphasize the Cylons. That's uh, one of the reasons they pulled Bart- Baltar onto the fleet, so that he could continue, because he was popular, but mm. uh, but not, uh, 
not with uh, with Lucifer and whatnot. Although they will be back, they will certainly be back. Um, spoilers. Sorry. <clears throat> <laughs> Next time, greetings from Earth. A, oh my! A long episode, not a two-parter. It was a long episode. <laughs> ben, thank you for joining me. Oh sure. And listeners. I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Cheers. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at FusionPatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production.